Welcome to No Wrong Answers. I'm your host, Kyle Palmer. In modern debates about public education, few terms are as polarizing or as loaded as the words school choice. Even defining the term can be slippery, but broadly speaking here, when I and many people talk about school choice, we're referring to the idea that kids and their families should not be confined to attending merely their neighborhood school, but should be able to choose a school that best fits their particular needs. That's the theory, anyway. Discussion about school choice over the past two decades or so has become inextricably linked with the debate over charter schools. On one side are advocates who say school choice, through the expansion of charter schools, is giving communities and kids who have previously been underserved and marginalized more power and agency. They point to the success of such prominent charter school networks as KIPP, Achievement First and the Noble Network as evidence that this evolving system of school choice is working. But critics say charter schools take students and funding away from struggling public schools, contributing to an unvirtuous cycle of depleted resources and declining achievement. These critics also point out that in the main, charter schools as a class of schools are no more effective than traditional public schools in neighborhoods. Well, last week, No Wrong Answers hosted a live community conversation about school choice and charter schools in our neck of the woods, Kansas City, Missouri. We asked this question of the audience and our panelists, is school choice working? The conversation is revealing, not just for our city, but for many cities and school districts across the country dealing with these same issues. Here's our conversation. Welcome to No Wrong Answers, the podcast that gives you a teacherly take on the world. I'm your host, Kyle Palmer, and in this special edition, we are coming to you in front of a live audience in the recital hall at the Paseo Academy of Fine and Performing Arts in Kansas City, Missouri. We want to thank Kansas City Public Schools and KCUR 89.3, Kansas City Public Radio, for being our partners in producing this community forum. And of course, we want to thank you, the audience, who have turned out tonight to participate. Now, let's meet our panel. Starting to my immediate left, Dr. Mark Bedell, Superintendent of Kansas City Public Schools. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Tony Klein, superintendent of University Academy, a charter school here in Kansas City. Tony, welcome. Thank you. Stephanie Ross, a parent of two daughters who have gone through schools here in Kansas City. Welcome. Thank you. And Ellie Moxley, an education reporter and my colleague at KCUR 89.3. Thank you so much for being here. All right, well, let's get to it, our topic tonight. School choice. You could argue families in Kansas City have more of it now than ever before. Consider this. Right now, between district-run schools and charter schools, there are 82 public schools within the boundaries of the Kansas City Public School District, serving about 26,500 kids. And most of those kids, the majority of those kids, attend a school that they or their families have in some way chosen. Now, some think Kansas City schools are too fragmented, that the system as it has evolved over the years has become confusing for parents and inefficient for educators. Others think the system is working better now than it has in decades. And this camp points to the success of some charter schools and district signature schools and suggests we don't need less school choice, but more 
Uh, this debate, of course, has been raging ever since charter schools first appeared in Kansas City in 1999. Since that time, the school-aged population of Kansas City has fallen, actually plummeted, suggesting families may be choosing to leave to find their education elsewhere. At the same time, for those who have stayed or moved in, Kansas City schools as a whole, district and charter, have continued to underperform despite very clear pockets of success. So if school choice is working, for whom is it working? And if it's not, how might we make it work more for more people? Uh, Stephanie Ross, you've had two daughters uh, go through schools here in Kansas City. One of them is a, in college now. Mizzou, M-I-Z, broadcast journalism, I might say, yeah. Um, and another who's still in high school. Correct. They have gone to private schools and charter schools. Can you, um, would you say school choice, uh, has it worked for them and you? For us, it has worked, and I think it would work for everyone. I believe that school should be, school choice should be person-centered. I have two children, and they were not successful at going to the same school. So for me, it's more about how my child learns the environment and what's best for them. We needed school choice. If we were stuck with certain schools, one of them would not have been successful. And can you, we've talked about this before, we but can you, can, can you explain why, as um, much as you're comfortable with? One was, did very well, um, no learning deficiencies, and one did have learning dis deficiencies. And I was denied at that same school that the one was successful, I was denied an IEP twice, um, and she was actually held back. And I was also told that she needed to seek counseling. And to be clear, this was at a charter school, just to, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ellie, I want to bring you into this conversation. You have a new piece published at KCUR.org. I'll plug that a little bit because it's a very good piece. And a big takeaway of it is, I think, um, at least my read of it is, you can't talk about education in Kansas City without talking about race. And by extension, mm -hmm, I didn't expect to get clapped so early, but thank you. Um, and by extension, we can't talk about school choice without talking about race. Talk about race. <laughs> Go. You know, and I, and I think this is something that um, I spend a lot of time in schools, and I am very, very frequently in schools where it's very racially isolated. This is true of district schools. This is true of charter schools. Because of residential housing segregation in Kansas City, those patterns endure today. It shapes where schools are located in Kansas City. It shapes the demographics of neighborhood schools. We see that a lot of our charters here in Kansas City are in neighborhoods where you might not expect charters. I think nationally, charters have this reputation of, oh, we're going to go in and serve underserved populations. And we have a lot of charter schools that do that in Kansas City. We also have a group of charter schools that really are very attractive to white middle-class parents. And I hear a lot about now about schools that are diverse by design. I understand that that's one way of making sure that kids who don't have a lot of opportunities maybe at home, who have challenges, who whose life circumstances have not been kind to them, that's a way of making sure that they still have seats at these schools that are high performing. But I think it also gets into, you hear a lot in education, especially when it comes to the racial mixing of schools about tipping points. And at what point are white parents in particular willing to send their kids to certain schools? These schools do in a way kind of ensure that that number is gonna be a comfortable level for parents that are picking those schools. And I think that's something we need to confront really honestly in Kansas City. So connected to this conversation about school choice, how does race play into the choices that parents are making? 
here's the thing. Parents, it's not just one thing that you you look at when you're choosing a school, right? You're looking at all these different things from, hey, how much of a pain in the butt is it going to be if I have to drop my kid at this school every morning to what classes are they offering? How does this school connect from the elementary school to the middle school to the high school? Because that's another issue with, with this really fragmented education system, you know, there's not a clear path through which kids move through the system. So there's all these different choices that family make, but I think that you do hear, I have I, I have trouble getting people to say this on the record, but when you put that microphone away, people are very candid about the fact that, you know, they want people who look like them in the school. And sometimes that means black families wanting other black families. It means Hispanic families wanting other Hispanic, Hispanic families. But what I'm really talking about here is it means that white families usually want to have a certain, they want to make sure that the school does have white families, that they're not the only one. And as a result, you know, um, there's, there's maybe a comfort level. And I think that's something that we have to talk about, what that looks like and what that says about our community. Uh, Mark Bedell, you know, over the last several decades, thousands of families have left the city. Uh, thousands more have gone to charter schools. Who's left in KCPS district schools? Tell me more about the families who have stayed in your district and why and, and what you're doing to serve them. One is we do have families that choose uh, this school district as their option. One, they just simply believe in the Kansas City Public School District and felt that just being a part of that would allow for it to heal. We also have parents that may not have the ability to advocate at the level that they need to be able to advocate to really explore whatever the other options are that are out there. And that's just a reality. And so for some of our parents, this is the only option that they have. We have a mobility issue in our school district. We have people moving in and out. So there's not a lot of stability. And so for a lot of our families, they're not even with us the entire year. And what I tell people is that even for the kids that come with a lot of social and emotional distress and they come from broken backgrounds, we can control a lot of that with the type of adults that we put in front of these kids. So zip code and those type of indicators shouldn't dictate a kid's outcome if we populate these schools with the right type of adults. Tony Klein, in the nearly 20 years that charter schools have been around in Kansas City, there, there has been a steep decline in the population of school-aged children. I referenced that earlier. What does that indicate to you? Does that indicate that charter school mission in Kansas City is, do you worry that, I mean, people, I mean families are still choosing to leave the city. So have charter schools changed their mind? Do I worry? No. So uh, this year is the first year that the incoming kindergarten charter um, population crossed the 50% mark, so more than 50% of incoming kindergartners are in charter schools rather than, than, than district schools. Um, I think that families move for a lot of reasons. There's lots of reasons why, why people leave. The, the actual number of total public school students has steadied and actually increased over the last four years, um, and I think that the community can see you know, the work Dr. Bedell, to his credit, and his team are doing to, to re-energize uh, folks about Kansas City public schools, and I, I want to make sure everybody knows that. That, um, that I'm a fan of the, of, of the school district as well. We're just fans for all kids. What the great thing about schools is you don't, there's no winner, second place, third place. We can all get 100%. It's not a zero-sum game. We want every, every kid um, to make it. Every school to tie for number one. 
Believe it or not, we both have staff that talk to each other every day, exchanging best practices. Uh, a word that I heard in my time in California called coopetition. It's my favorite word. You compete, but you got to cooperate at the same time. And uh, I know I have a willing partner here, and he knows, he knows that with me as well. It sounds like a very California concept. <laughs> I can say that I lived in California for so It's better than kale, by the way. <laughs> so I wanted to um, just add a little bit into this, this conversation because part of the concern is as we think about the, the tipping of enrollment and we think about the number of charter schools that have come on board, you have this kind of options, you have those type of options, you're going to see that. People, it's new. It's, it's something that hadn't been here before, so people naturally are gonna say, let's give that a try, let's give that school a try. And I think the concern that I have and why I don't think that it's working like it really needs to work is because there aren't any regulations. I mean, eventually what you're going to have here is you're gonna have charters cannibalizing each other, you're gonna have the same thing across the board because you, at some point, saturation is going to play a major role and what we're gonna be able to do in terms of our ability to give these kids the holistic education that they deserve. And I think that everybody has to really think long and hard about that when we sit here and we keep saying we're gonna to continue to open up schools. And if we have charters that are working, by all means, continue. If we have charters that aren't working, then we have to do the same things that we've had to do when we had the right size, when we had to do our master planning where we closed schools because of, of, of schools not performing, not because of financial distress. Tony and I were in the back talking, we both agree around the accountability piece and that there needs to be a true level playing field around accountability so everybody really understands what's happening. And, and, and the thing that really disturbs me, you know, because of the way that people approach this school district, anything that goes wrong, if there's a school bus that's illegally parked or if there's a bad experience at some school, we're getting the phone calls, I'm receiving a tweet, and then when we do our investigation, we find out it's not even a KCPS school, so people don't even think that charters do anything wrong, and I think, so it, it really does hurt us, because then what people end up doing is saying, you know, people don't, first of all, they don't know the difference between what charter schools belong, are, are separate LEAs, and what charter schools, you know, or what belongs to KCPS, so people automatically will fall back on the negative experience of the Kansas City Public School District, and then that reputation is just repetitive, and, and sometimes it's not even our district. And the thing that I tell people is, I don't oppose charters. I've said that on this stage when I interviewed two years ago. I view them as friends, but I'm, it, it is competition, and ultimately, you know, I wanna make sure that this district is the district of choice, and so I do talk a lot about accountability because I think that's very important, and, and we agree with that. Uh, Tony Klein, I want you to, to respond to what Superintendent Bedell is saying. What's, what's your perspective? Yeah, first of all, I agree in accountability. I would love if charters and, and districts, traditionals, had the same accountability system. Um, you know, we typically, we typically get five-year contracts, and you're supposed to hit your numbers. If you don't, you close. The criticism of charters is sometimes charters don't hit the numbers, and they stay open. And that's not good. That's the deal. The deal is you perform better than neighborhood school. You stay open. And you don't. You don't stay open. That gives credence to a whole, a whole bunch of other criticisms that they have some validity. But I would argue the same thing for a traditional school, not just KCPS, but any school system, uh, district school. If something's not going right after a certain amount of years, we should close it. 
Um, but it doesn't have to stay closed forever, but we got to retool and, and, uh, and start something again. So the uniform accountability would be great. I hope it happens at, at some point um, in, my, in my life. Uh, I want to get back to that conversation, but I do also want to ask Stephanie Ross a, a question based on something that Ellie said earlier. Did you find this system confusing when you were trying to navigate it? And, and how did you navigate it? I didn't, but I will say, and, and I don't want to make anybody mad, because my conversation is more about school choice, not about charter or Kansas City, Missouri School District. I can say that where she, my, my troubled child, and I won't even say troubled child, that's for lack of a better word, my child that needed that IEP and was denied that IEP um, did not have the village. I'm a single mom. Um, at the school that she was at prior, I got called every single day. I was always in fear of losing my job. I was always in fear of like, this is something that you should be able to handle instead of labeling my, labeling my child a behavior child. Can we work together to keep her at school? Because when you suspend her for 10 days, she's not getting an education for that 10 days. And we're also creating another situation where I might not be able to pay for my car and she can't go to the school she needs to go to. So now we have to change schools for her to go where she, in the neighborhood school. <clears throat> so I don't know if I'm articulating that correctly, but I needed that village. Well, and it sounds like you're a parent who, you're, I mean, you're, you sounds like you were intrinsically involved in, in I your- I had to be, yeah. I wasn't at first, because I had this first child that didn't have any issues, so it was smooth sailing. But then I ended up with a child where I needed help and I didn't have any answers. I didn't know where to go. I was denied that IEP twice. If there wasn't someone who stepped in and told me what I needed to do and to contact Impact, an organization that can write that letter for me and tell me that I need to get an IEP for her, I didn't know that. I didn't know the difference between a 504 plan and a, an IEP because we had a 504. It wasn't working. She still failed that and they weren't following that. So does, it, does this open market, if I can call it that, does, do you feel like it worked for you then? It worked for me. It doesn't work for everyone, but again, I have transportation. Um, I happen to have the education. I also, let me put this out there, I also have ADHD. But without the guidance of other people in my family, I would have been lost. Without me learning what I learned and having the education, my child would have been lost. And everybody doesn't have that opportunity. And sometimes it's not in our neighborhood area that we have the impact. We have the other organizations that help. You have to have the knowledge to say, I need to call somebody sometimes because the school's not reaching out saying my child is struggling. They're saying she's bad. She needs to go home for 10 days. I'm going to ask Ellie one final question for this panel, and, and then we want to take some questions. So if you have a question right now, go ahead and, and start lining up at one of these mics. So I'm going to ask Ellie one final question, and then uh, we can start to take your questions. Uh, so along this conversation of, of, of parents advocating for themselves, you've done a lot of reporting both in Kansas City as well as in other nearby districts, uh, and you've, you've encountered and talked to and seen a lot of families who... Um, maybe for lack of a better term, might feel left behind. What, what are their situations and, and, and why are they not being able to, to, to make the kind of choices and decisions that Stephanie was making? We hear out of school choice, we hear a lot of stories like Stephanie's family that they find the right school and they fall in love and it's a great feeling, whether it's a district school or a charter school or a private school. I mean, that's the end result we want, right? Like if we're gonna have this choice system that when people make choices, they make good choices and they make the right choice on the first try. I think the challenge is, is I do talk to families that have that experience and then I talk to families that say, you know, I made a choice and kindergarten is ending and I don't know if I'm going to keep my kid here. I don't know if I made the right decision. And then they're going to move that kid next year. And maybe they move them to a better fit 
Or maybe they just, you know, kind of created a little bit more instability in that kid's life. And that's tough because you're trying to do the right thing, right? Like, as a parent, you want to do right by your kids and you want to move them to a school that's working well if the school you're not in isn't working. But again, when, when stability is so key to a lot of these kids' education, you know, it, it means starting with good schools. It means starting with schools that, you know, kids have a good chance of succeeding in. It means hopefully not having situations with what happened with Stephanie's younger daughter where, you know, they didn't feel like they could get the services they needed at a school that they really liked and then had to find something else that worked. So, I mean, that that's kind of um, the challenges. I think there are a lot of families that just aren't very engaged, too, um, for whatever reason. I don't think it's because, you know, parents who are living in poverty or, you know, struggling with other things that I don't think it's that they don't care about their kids and don't want a good education for their kids. It's not that at all. It's just that when you have that much stuff going on in your life, you know, all you want to do is at least send your kid to school every day and, you know, get them their education. But, you know, I think, I think we all know that not all education is created equal and there's a lot of different, that's, that's why we're having this conversation, right? A uh, question. So if you come to the mic, go ahead and just say your name and how you might be connected to uh, a school or this conversation just so we can kind of get some context. Okay, uh, that's Jacob. I'm a teaching professor at UMKC in school administration. I really appreciate, uh, Tony, about you talk about how we need to cooperate and play together. Um, how many kindergartners will you be bringing into your school this year? 100. And what was your graduation last year? I know where you're going with that, but that's not a fair question because okay. the first kindergarten I class needed, is just I graduating need, this year. Okay, I need it explained then. Okay, I'm happy to do that. So. I'm going to go to your attrition question because that's where you're going with it. We typically average 8.1% attrition per year. So with a class, we're going to start with 140. In kindergarten, it would, that would graduate on the natural somewhere in the 30s. We do backfill in the last up like, four through, or five up years. Up through high school. We backfill one through nine. Our building was built for 1,000. I currently have 1,100 kids in there. I can't put any more in there. I would if I could. Um, I'm not opposed to backfilling. I'm just out of room, and I'm not allowed to bond for a new building. Yeah, I, I just, it concerns me where those other 70 or 80 kids are, because... I know where they are, Gus. If you want to come by my office, I'll show you where well, they I mean, are. Is, we track, we track is that a fair question, though? I mean, um, My question will help with that. Uh, it will. The district has to serve those kids. Yeah. Your district... Sometimes chooses not to serve those kids. Never, yes. never yeah. chooses not to serve kids. I, and we have to be. I do want to hear what Superintendent Bedell has to say about this. What is, what is your perspective? Well, since you decided to ask me, I'll, <laughs> first of all, um, and I'm going to be very clear with you. I, I, I'm not throwing Tony under the bus at all because we look at the number of kids that are coming in from charters, and we have some serious high flyers and it's not his school right now. I could tell you that, so let me be very clear. We recently, I had a principal a few minutes ago tell me that they just took six kids from a charter high school within the last five days of school. Here's the reason why. The policy within this school is, if you miss more than nine days, you will not get the credits that you need to get for the school year, and so what's happening now is, Parents are withdrawing their kids out because they don't want those kids because they missed more than nine days to lose their credits. 
and they're all enrolling into my school system. Yep. And they're all enrolling into the school system during testing. Yep. After funding yep. has already taken place, it doesn't give us an opportunity. And so we have all of that data. Like, this is the thing, I'm, I'm not out here trying to bash anybody. When I talk about accountability, I have concrete, objective data, and I'm willing to have that debate with anybody anywhere at any time around what's happening. <laughs> we have another parent here. My name is Jamaica Kendricks. I was a parent advocate in Kennedy Public Schools for about 10 years, working with hundreds of parents. I am now an educator in the Hickman Mill School District, teaching in elementary school, first year. I also had um, children um, one who has been in Kansas City Public Schools her entire um, school career, my son who's graduating this year started out at UA in that first kindergarten class. At first I said I'm not going to speak today because I haven't done this in a long time. And then I got both of these superintendents here and I said I must share this story. So um, my son went to UA and I chose UA when he was in kindergarten because I heard so many people saying, oh that school's extra hard, I had to pull my kid out because it was so rigorous. And I graduated from private school, and I wanted my kids to have an education that was comparable to the one I received without all of the emotional and social and mental baggage that came along with it. When I chose UA, I thought it was a great school for my son. When he was in eighth grade, I started getting calls, and my kids never had problems in school. And I'm like, what's going on with you? Why am I getting calls about behavior for you all the time when you were the exemplary student before? And so my son said, Mom, I'm trying to figure out how to fit in with all these new kids. And I said, what do you mean? And he's like, well, half of the kids are gone. I'm like, what? How did half of the kids from kindergarten leave? So because I was a parent advocate, I went to the school board at UA to a meeting. And so I talked to them and I said, my son is struggling. And he said that half of the kids are gone. Well, the superintendent at the time told me, well, it's not half, it's probably around 40%. Well, thank you. <laughs> so I asked the superintendent, I said, well, if we have this high of an attrition rate with students who came here in kindergarten, what do you attribute that to? He said, it's too rigorous. And I think the families are choosing a less rigorous school. And I said, well, don't you think they chose you a because of the rigor? And if they've been with you since kindergarten, why are they not accustomed to that rigor and able to, to deal with it? I was told, well, we usually don't have them go all the way through. Um, we have some families who pull out, and I said, well, if they're struggling, what do you offer to them? They had tutoring at the time, and I was a parent, and um, when they did tutoring, there were no buses. Um, there were buses for athletics, but not for tutoring. A parent had to be there to pick up their child within 15 minutes of tutoring ending. If they were unable to do so, then there was a $25 charge that they would have to pay before their student could continue tutoring. So. I said, are there any other things that are offered? They said, no. And I said, why if we have struggling students? So charter schools don't kick kids out. But just like with Stephanie, you strongly encourage them to move because they can't get what they need. They don't have the supports in place at all. Yes. And so with my son, when I found this out, I said, what's your graduating classes look like? I was told, well, we usually graduate somewhere between 30 and 40. And I said, what do you start out with in a class? And they said 120. I said, does that not bother you? that your attrition rate is almost 60%. And so with this graduating class that's coming out now, my son is still friends with a lot of the folks who were in his class. I'd say there's probably about 30%. I was also told they backfill until graduation. And so, I mean, until ninth grade. 
So in ninth grade, they'd stop backfilling and he'd stick with those same four. But because I'm a public education advocate, I said, I'm pulling him because I can't support this kind of system. So I moved him into Kansas City Public Schools, I'm happy to say. There is an issue when we create this competition where some schools have the ability to push kids out and other schools don't. And as a teacher in the fifth grade, we just had 12 kids enter our, our grade level, our grade level, not our school, our grade level in the last two months. Those kids are testing with us. We didn't teach them. And so I think when we're having the conversation about school choice, the one thing I learned from parents is the one choice parents want the most is the one we can never get. And we want a neighborhood school that can provide our kids with what they need. We go elsewhere because you won't give it to us. Response? Tony? Look, before I got there. Uh, <laughs> so I can't say it didn't happen. I will say this, and we have a number of UA teachers out here in the audience. Um, all of our teachers, K-12, uh, since I've, I've been there, uh, without extra pay, tutor after school one day a week. At least one, if you're a UA person, you want to raise your hand? There you go. Thanks. Um, what I saw, all of our principals now uh, are, have been principals at traditional districts. Our board does have a no social promotion policy. You're supposed to hit it. Now, in the last five years, that's affected less than 1% of the students. So my problem now is I have these huge classes that have moved through elementary school and now going to middle school and I don't have room for them. So we start off with like 120 kindergartners. Next year I'm going to have 110 sixth graders. We have not had that, that massive attrition that we used to have and now I'm, we're like sardines. We've got 1,100 kids in that building. Our, every principal, I, I, when I interviewed him, I said, what do you think about that policy, that, that no social promotion policy? And I said, I can only do it if I know we did everything for the kid first. We went from not having summer school to having 25 days of summer school. We let the kids take all the benchmarks at the end of summer school if they don't hit them by the fourth quarter. We have um, tutoring. Um, we're putting in a really unique eighth grade to ninth grade advisory transition where one teacher is going to follow all the eighth graders and all the ninth graders the next year because that's where we see our biggest drop off in terms of GPA. So there is no perfect school. UA is still not a perfect school. I, two hands up. We're not perfect. Um, but we, every day we try to fix one problem and move on to the next. I think Dr. Bedell does the same thing at his district, and over time we hope to get better. I'm sorry you had a bad experience. I really am. The thing is, I'm trying to get out, is the competition makes the resources spread so far out that you it's difficult for any school to actually provide everything Absolutely. that a child needs. Absolutely. And so you have to move out. And so with this competition, yes, it works in business. But in education, it is not as effective, and there are losers. And usually the losers are the people who we claim are trying to help, who don't have the ability to navigate the system, who have not received the education from our system that they deserve, and now we're making it worse for them. I think, I think to be fair, it's a mixed bag. In, 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 in cities that have lots of charter schools, LA, where I, where I came from, I think now is 700, New York has over 1,000. Ever since those schools opened, more schools, there's this argument that drains down the system, all boats rose. LA Unified test scores are up dramatically the last 15 years, despite losing over 300,000 students to charter schools. New York also had the same things. Sometimes it helps with overcrowding. I don't think that was the case in Kansas City. I don't think we had an overcrowding problem, but it's, more, it's complicated. And anything in free market, I'm sorry, I'll let we get, get, anytime that we're, we're working in a free market situation, there are periods of correction. 
an overcorrection. I think we're in a period of correction right now. I don't think we're, I don't think we're balanced, if you will. And I think the next four or five years will be telling. If I can add on, I know this gentleman's been waiting, but let me just let me add on to that part because, yeah, I, I do think that school choice works in a bunch of different places. It just doesn't work here. And so I worked in Houston Independent School District for 12 years. And the reason why I say it doesn't work here is because of the lack of regulations, us not being intentional, right? If you think about New York City, you think about LA, you think about Houston, those are, Houston's the seventh largest school district, New York City's one, LA is number two. And, but if you even think about where those charters are located, right, they're locating them in the neighborhoods where choice is actually needed to give, the, give those parents an opportunity to, to have something that's offered differently. In Houston, you know, I think we've probably sponsored since 1999 when I was there, about 19 charter schools or so, quite, and there were some that were shut down over that period of time, but the enrollment in the Houston Independent School District was 202,000 when I started teaching in 2000, and it is now 215, close to 216,000, and charters exist, and it works because of the fact that when you think about being intentional, making sure that you're not duplicating something that's already being offered in another area, or making sure that you're not having three or four of them within the same vicinity, and then you have deserts in other parts of the city where communities actually need possibly those kind of options, then that's part of the reason why it doesn't work. And so instead of us continuously advocating and saying that we want to open up more because we believe more school choice is going to make things better, right? that's where you then have an impact on your financial resources. That's where, to me, it becomes less and less about what we need to do for the kids and more and more about, about profit. And I think that that's part of it. So he, he has a model here, obviously, that's working, right? But we have other models that don't work, but they're continuously expanding and, they're, and, it, and it's hurting everybody. And yeah, so it can work. But there has to be regulations, there has to be controls from DESE, uh, Department of Elementary and Secondary edu Education, because even though charters have been around since 1999, there has not been any type of statewide evaluation of the effectiveness of them in St. Louis and Kansas City. And even though we have legislators who are trying to push more school choice, let's evaluate whether it works and let's evaluate it in a very objective way and, and, I, and that's just the bottom line, because I know it can work. I think people can coexist together, but there has to be some controls on it, and that's what's not happening here in Kansas City. Question, question over here. Yeah, so um, I'm really glad you mentioned the All Boats Rise in New York and L.A. Can you say your name, please? I'm sorry. Sure. Um, my name is Chris Homiak. I'm an educator. I also volunteer with uh, Showing Up for Racial Justice, Kansas City. One of the things that I'm glad you mentioned about All Boats Rise and New York and L.A., is it's kind of related to mobility, it's related to um, evictions and displacement, and then the G word, gentrification, of the reversal of white flight that's starting to happen. White families are moving in, or staying, young hipsters like myself, right? Like moving in and staying longer with kids. And so I, I guess I just wonder how that's impacting your systems what would you like um, entitled white uh, gentrifying families to know? 
Wow, that you is a loaded question. Now. You have the mic. And, and so. Tony's going to look at me to answer first. Yeah, I go okay. First, you want to go first? Because yeah. I'm ready. I can sure. answer. Well, but, if you gotta, I got to well, think about that for a Well, second, no, so. so let me answer that question. Right. Um, I, I do agree. I think the gentrification piece is something that we're seeing. I think if you take a look right now and you look at what's happening over in, in the Truce area, we're now one block east of Truce. You're starting to see more white families move in. A lot more white families are moving into the downtown area. Where our community has had a problem with all of this was that when we, when we had to go into integration, back when it was, it was, judge, it was uh, sanctioned by Judge Clark court ordered, our white families abandoned. They left. They said, we didn't want to, we don't want to be educated with those children. They're coming back now. And, um, and it's almost like, okay, there's this, if I can just use my equity conversation, this whiteness as property, like this was ours and it belongs to us. And we're going to come in here and you guys are going to just going to cater to, you know, what we wanted. And I think for me, you know, what I'm saying to people is that, yeah, I welcome everyone. Right. But in welcoming everyone, I just don't want to be a part of perpetuating what I would say to these new millennials and anybody who's moving in. We're not going to be a part of resegregating this school district. And so we want to make sure that this is diverse. And if you truly want to come in here and make this a beautiful city, then let's sit down and let's have a conversation around what that can look like and making sure that we're very intentional, right? It has to be organic, but it has to be intentional. It can't be forced. Uh, Ellie, I, I want to bring you in. I haven't heard from you in a while. Uh, I mean, I think one of the things, like, I just looked at these stats for KCPS, and it's about 55% black, 9% white, and about 28% Hispanic, if we're looking at the numbers. I just pulled, I, I really did look them up today. So, in preparation. Um, I think the biggest thing to pay attention to here, I, I'm hearing a lot of these things as we're having conversations about what schools are coming online. Right now, a lot of the charter schools, um, I would say they are higher in, in black students than the district is right now. But what we're starting to see as new schools come online, you are seeing more schools that want to cater to middle class families, that want to kind of be a part of this you know, resurgence and, and, and we can say gentrification. I mean, hey, I live in Brookside too, guys. Like, I mean, like, I'm probably part of the problem. Like, happy to admit it. Um, I love Kansas City, but I think one of the things, anyone that's considering this choice, I, I think one of the things we have to do, especially as white patrons of the school system, is to think about why we're making the choices we're making and make sure that if there is some discomfort about racial mixing that is, is driving some of our decisions, we need to be honest with ourselves about that because I hear that a lot when parents talk through these choices is that, you know, they're like, well, you know, I want this and I want that and I want this and I want that. And at the end of the day, they do want a school where, you know, their kids aren't gonna be in the minority. Well, we wanna thank our panelists, give them a round of applause. Thank you again to Kansas City Public School Superintendent Mark Bedell, University Academy's Tony Klein, Stephanie Ross, and KCUR's Ellie Moxley. Uh, thank you to Matt Hodap and Mike Russo, who uh, have been producing this event and running the sound. Uh, thank you to Kansas City Public Schools, especially Natalie Allen and KCUR 89.3 for helping us put this event on. And thank you, the audience, for a lively and energetic discussion. So uh, one last time, give yourselves a round of applause.
final note, an edited version of this event will likely appear in our podcast stream sometime next week, so you can subscribe to No Wrong Answers on Apple Podcasts. You may still know that as iTunes. Um, if you've not done so already, uh, you can subscribe now. And uh, actually, I will say that if you subscribe, please leave us a review. It helps. That helps with Apple's algorithms. It helps um, get us noticed. And I will say there are no other podcasts like ours giving you a teacherly take on the world. Also, like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. And I know there's some no wrong answers teachers out there. What do I always say at the end? Yeah. Be nice to your teachers. Yes. Again, one final time. Thank you. Have a safe drive home and good night. <laughs>